our calendar. I'll wait for everybody to change their screens. Judge Kaplan, and we'll, we'll hear the few block by matters we have on for the agenda. Checking video. Excuse me? The video. Oh, the video went off. All right. I'm back. All right. Just playing games. Okay. So, uh, let me, I have the agenda. Let me turn to debtors' counsel and see what matters they wish to. Uh, address first. Mr. Allett, good morning. Good morning, Your Honor. Uh, for the record, Kenneth Allett of Brown Rudnick for the plan administrator and the wind down debtors. Uh, we have two matters going forward today. The motion for approval of the three arrows settlement. And I should note the agenda does, does not include the U.S. trustees objection to the ceiling motion. So we are prepared to address that, and I see the U.S. trustee is on the line, and our apologies for not including that on the agenda. Uh, my partner, Tristan Axelrod, will be handling all matters related to Three Arrows, and we have the 14th omnibus objection going forward on the papers. But first, uh, if Your Honor would let me, we'd like to give a little bit of a status update on the case. Yes, please. So... Yep. As creditors may be aware, on January 31st, we announced the beginning of the first interim distribution. Yep. Stepping back, the plan administrator, the oversight committee, and the joint provisional liquidators have all had the overriding goal of returning as much money to BlockFi customers as quickly as possible. Yep. We've heard some stories from customers of the impact that the inability to get this money has had on their lives. You know, one creditor, for example, has told me that you know, they sold their house and were moving and put the money in BlockFi for you know, the time being while they looked for a house. And needless to say, they have not been able to get a new house. So we've been focused on returning money to people as quickly as possible. Uh, there were a couple blockers in place before we could do so. Uh, BlockFi systems required that we complete wallet distributions before we could do distributions on unsecured claims. The, the difference between now and BlockFi's previous systems being that we have to be able to distribute portions of a claim. That required reworking the structure of BlockFi systems as a practical matter, required us to be able to close down the wallet product before we could do so. We're pleased to announce that the wallet product has been closed down following the withdrawal of over half a billion dollars worth of crypto assets from the wallet accounts. The remaining wallet funds will be uh, liquidated cash and the cash sent out to those wallet holders. Next, we had to reconcile enough claims that we could be ready to begin distributions. There was a vast number of claims filed in this case. And as you would expect for a company that had a primarily individual customer base, not a lot of people were experts in filling out bankruptcy claim forms. And they shouldn't be. Hopefully this is their one and only uh, bankruptcy experience. But 
the required reserves that would have been needed to be kept at the beginning of the process would have been enormous. And that would have significantly impacted our ability to get out distributions. And, you know, the Three Arrows settlement, which my partner, Tristan Axelrod, brought, will address, was one of those key blockers, a very large claim against Lending LLC, which is a relatively small estate. And finally, we needed to have certainty over the claims pool. Every claimant who filed a proof of claim needs the opportunity to come before your honor if we disagree with that claim. But we needed to know the maximum that they could recover so that we could keep reserves. And through the capping motion, we've been able to ensure that for every single claim filed, we have a maximum amount that that claim can be allowed at. In most cases, we believe that if that amount is more than the scheduled claim, that ultimately the claim should only be allowed at the scheduled amount. But by using the capping motion, we were able to ensure that people could get distributions now while preserving those claimants' rights to come before your honor at a later date. And so, you know, from the beginning of the wind-down process, you know, Moe Medjie, the plan administrator, set a very aggressive schedule with the plan for distributions in January. And your honor may have expressed a little skepticism if we could hit that, but we were very pleased that distributions did start going out on January 31st. I want to give a little context on how distributions are going out so that creditors can have an understanding of what to expect. Because we're using BlockFi's existing systems, we wanted to take a phased approach to make sure that we're doing something new here. We wanted to make sure it worked well, and so we began with, on January 31st, a small population of convenience class claims so that we could test the systems with small dollar amounts. Those tests went very well, and so we're going to be expanding the process. First, a larger group of convenience class claims. We're then going to move to scheduled claims where a claimant did not file proof of claim, so we have an undisputed claim amount. We know exactly what they're owed and that there's no dispute. And then we're going to move to allowed claims. We expect to file a notice with your honor sometime in February of all the claims that we have reconciled and deemed under the plan to be allowable claims that should be entitled to receive distributions in either the amount asserted or that have been on previous omnibus objections that have been modified by order of the court. So, as of yesterday, we've released 150,000 accounts for distribution. Our goal is to have all accounts with either a scheduled claim or an allowed claim open in the month of February. As claims become allowed subsequent to that point, largely from omnibus objections being granted by your honor or by other orders, that we would open up distributions at that time. We will be reserving for all those distributions in advance so that everybody who is receiving digital assets as part of their distribution will receive those at the same price point. So, as we all know, digital assets can fluctuate considerably in value. We will be using the same value for Bitcoin distributions that go out yesterday 
as go out at the end of February. We're going to be doing all of the rebalancing at once at one price point that we can use for everybody so that nobody is prejudiced by when in the process they get their distributions. And similarly, we are reserving for, dis for disputed claims in kind such that those people will not be prejudiced either. Uh, the initial distributions are below the ranges that we uh, hope and expect to reach because we're using the assets that are currently on hand with a relatively substantial reserve, both for disputed claims and for future litigation. With the, uh, if the court approves a three-hour settlement, that will release some of our litigation reserve as well that can be rolled into a future distribution. And as litigation matters are concluded, any unused portion of the litigation budget can be rolled into a future distribution. And similarly, as claims are reconciled and ultimately allowed, any portion of the disputed claims reserve will go back into the pot for future distribution. So that's where we are with distributions. Uh, our hope is that as additional money comes in or is released from our existing reserves, that we will be able to announce distributions in the future. Uh, as we announced on the 31st, the distribution ranges are approximately 21 to 26% for BlockFi Inc., which are US-based BIA accounts, 35 to 41% for BlockFi International, which is essentially every kind of account held by uh, account holders outside the United States, and 37 to 43% for BlockFi Lending, which is US-based uh, collateral accounts, people who posted uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or other crypto take out a loan, and BlockFi private clients. Is that, is that the anticipated range or with the range for these current distributions? That is the range for the current distributions. There is a, there is a little bit of uncertainty because the rebalancing had not yet been completed will announce the exact distribution percentages once we open up non-convenience class distributions. All right, thank you. And so the other two major matters are Three Arrows Capital and FTX. Uh, three Arrows, as the court is aware, we've reached a settlement subject to your honor's approval that my partner, Tristan Axelrod, will be presenting. Assuming that is approved, we will be able to open up those lending distributions. I should note that the 37 to 43% range assumes that the three arrow settlement will be approved. If it's not approved, we will obviously require a much more substantial disputed claims reserve there. For FTX, uh, as I'm sure block by creditors <laughs> have seen, FTX announced recently that it is to use their exact phrase, they're, they are optimistic that they will be able to hit 100% distributions. That is not a promise, that is not a guarantee, but they are quite hopeful that they will be able to reach that, which given that the largest remaining asset that has not been monetized of BlockFi is the claims against FTX, is a very positive, it's very positive news for BlockFi customers. That said, 
the important caveats there are, first, nothing is guaranteed until it's guaranteed. The FDX traders have not promised 100% distributions, and we do not have 100% distributions in our bank account. Second, FTX's plan is a dollarization plan. FTX expects to send out dollars. So for any allowed claim that BlockFi ultimately has, we expect that that 100% means that ultimately we may receive 100% of the dollarized value. It unfortunately does not mean that we will recover 100% of the crypto assets pledged to BlockFi, pledged by BlockFi for unfortunately the same reason that customers in this case must use the petition date value of their claims. What's good for the goose is good for the gander, so to speak. Uh, yes, Your Honor. And I should also note that 100% distributions doesn't necessarily mean 100% distributions up front. The FDX debtors were very clear that they've got quite a lot of wood to chop, including monetizing their assets, and that they have a very substantial claims pool that they expect to object to. So even if they hit 100%, when those distributions come in, it isn't known at this time. We also, uh, last Thursday, had a mediation with FTX presided over by Judge Goldblatt. The mediation was productive, and we're continuing to discuss with FTX, but we don't have anything that we can announce at this time. If we do have something to announce, we'll announce that as quickly as possible. And with that, unless Your Honor has any questions, I will turn over the Three Arrows matters to my partner, Tristan Axelrod. No, thank you, Mr. Allred. I think it's been important to get that uh, outlook uh, and uh, status report with respect to distributions. I know there are anxious creditors, uh, both Chambers and your firm have been receiving calls and emails. Uh, and uh, the sooner we can start these distributions, I'm, 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 I'm pleased to hear that they did begin in the month of January. Uh, and that uh, the uh, and they will continue through February. I think that's a good sign. Uh, Mr. Axelrod, uh, let's address the 3AC settlement and also the ceiling motion. Thank you, Your Honor. Can you hear me clearly? I can. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the 9019 settlement motion is docket number 2062. The motion to seal is 2063. There was a response from the U.S. trustee to the sealing motion filed at docket number 2107. Um, I'd be happy to address that first as it's the contested matter. I think so. I think it would be appropriate. Okay. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, so our motion stated cause for relief under Section 107B of the Bankruptcy Code, um, commercially sensitive confidential research information. Uh, the U.S. trustee responded that um, that the public policy precepts underlying Section 107 um, and the right of access of the public to uh, this type of information trump uh, essentially our statement of cause under 107B. We have three arguments um, that I'll lay out as briefly as I can in, in response to the United States trustee. The first, very simply, is that no party came forward and asked for a copy of the agreement, um, either before uh, the U.S. trustee or, or after. Um, the agreement provides that in the event we in Rieros Capital see no 
commercial issue with, uh, with disclosure of the agreement to an interested party, we can provide it to them, and we would be happy to cooperate with Three Rose Capital in the event any party does ask. Um, but it will probably entail that party signing an NDA, and uh, it, we would probably need to be assured that they are not litigating against us and for, or against FTX and trying to back out commercially sensitive, if not privileged, information from what they're seeking from us. Um, so generally, we have made a, a showing of cause under 107B that, that Your Honor can see from the record in these cases. There's the disclosure statement that lays out certainly the importance of recoveries from FTX to recoveries for our creditors, but also the potential cause of action that we have against any number of other parties, some of which have commenced. Uh, and that's preference litigation, it's insurance recoveries, it's a variety of different causes of action that we are either contemplating or actively pursuing at this time. Um, there's also a mediation order on this docket that Mr. Allett referenced um, and that led to us engaging in mediation with FTX. And in that mediation, going back months now, we've been given, as one might expect of one of the largest creditors in the FTX proceedings, uh, we've been given confidential mediation privilege information about FTX's ability to monetize certain assets and its projections for recoveries to creditors. Um, and all of that body of litigation, the, the importance of FTX, the information we have about FTX, feeds into the litigation that we are pursuing now and, and that it claims that are made against the BlockFi estates, um, issues like solvency, in connection with preference and fraudulent transfer claims, defenses, safe harbor, ordinary course, and then most importantly, recoveries for BlockFi and in fact 3AC and, and other FTX creditors figure into 502H claims and how you would value this avoidance litigation that's going back and forth between BlockFi and FTX and 3AC and other entities. And all of that basically is determined by confidential information, certainly privileged understanding of, of the strengths and weaknesses of our claims, but uh, as I just mentioned, very importantly, uh, mediation privileged information about what's going on at FTX and what we can expect in the future. And as Mr. Olette just mentioned, there's a big difference between FTX saying, we hope we can pay 100%, and FTX saying, here's your 100% in cash today, as opposed to over five years when we finish this litigation and monetize this and that asset. So. There's a lot of information that, that we've had to work into our litigation planning um, that ultimately, I think, has become very clear in the document that we negotiated with Three Arrows Capital to settle our disputes with them. Um, we put a lot of work into the creation of a novel, novel settlement framework that aligns BlockFi's and Three Arrows Capital's incentives um, as we both go forward with various bodies of litigation, both of us including FTX, but also others. And it, it would be hard not to look at our settlement framework and back out analysis of certain strengths and weaknesses of claims, but also what we believe will happen with FTX um, based on mediation privileged information. Um, if that information were to be disclosed, it would, among other things, make settlement far more difficult for BlockFi and, uh, and Three Arrows Capital. 
And I, I'm not sure that I really need to say more about that, given that we've just said we're in mediation with FTX. This is the single most important asset to BlockFi, uh, and we don't want to interrupt that that process, that mediation, which we believe has been productive. Um, and we also simply don't want to interrupt or prejudice any other uh, litigation that may come up that uh, that could be um, jarred by inappropriate disclosure of information. Um, this type of relief, the sealing of confidential litigation-related information, I won't say is routinely granted in cases as a whole, but very often granted in very large cases where litigation recoveries are critical to creditor recoveries and where there's a huge body of litigation against creditors, each facing unique facts but somewhat similar issues of law. Um, one prominent example was the Puerto Rico re, uh, adjustment proceedings in the Puerto Rico Bankruptcy Court, case number 17-03283. There was a series of sealing orders entered beginning around April 2019 that limited creditor and litigant access to some very confidential documents laying out not just settlement agreements, but uh, settlement strategy and in many cases both. Um, and then very prominent example of a court sealing this type of settlement agreement would be Three Rose Capital's own settlement agreement with Genesis. In the Genesis case in the Southern District of New York Bankruptcy Court, case number 23-10063, um, I believe the United States trustee objected to the sealing of that agreement for similar reasons, um, and that objection was overruled. There's an order at docket number 1013 permitting the sealing of the Genesis Agreement, substantially for all the reasons we're talking about today. And finally, Your Honor, is a, a slightly different uh, argument, um, but worth mentioning here, and, and my colleague, Mr. Goldberg, uh, will, will speak as well on this, I, I'm sure. Um, but Three Arrows Capital is a debtor in a foreign main proceeding. It's in liquidation in the British Virgin Islands. Um, the court is very aware of this, that, that Three Arrows Capital has had lots of litigation um, with sharing some commercial concerns across different bankruptcy estates in the United States uh, and in the British Virgin Island, Islands, um, sharing some of the concerns that BlockFi has today, of course, um, but differing in, in scale uh, in, in many ways. In the British Virgin Islands, the settlement agreements of this nature are subject to limited public view in light of policy uh, public policy of that jurisdiction favoring trustees' ability to seek court direction based on privileged and confidential information. Um, that is Bureau's Capital's concern, among other things, um, at which we agreed was a worthy concern, and which the U.S. courts have repeatedly, where foreign main proceedings are involved and foreign representatives in recognized uh, proceedings are involved, the U.S. courts have repeatedly recognized that foreign uh, policy perspective as valid and justifying the sealing of agreements in United States bankruptcy proceedings as an act of, among other things, comedy between the proceedings. Um, there are a number of different uh, opinions that have been written on this uh, and orders entered very prominently in, in the Madoff bankruptcy proceedings and some of the feeder fund proceedings. So I'll, I'll just list a couple. One was Fairfield Century 714 F. 3rd, 127 at page 140. That's the Second Circuit, 2013. And then only a few months ago in, in Ray Kinggate Global, 
in the Southern District of New York Bankruptcy Court, case number 19-12853. There's an order at docket number 73 that followed briefing on this very issue. And so we believe this is an independent basis to grant the motion as well under Chapter 15 and related principles of comedy that interact with Section 107, among other parts of the Bankruptcy Code. So, Your Honor, I could continue to speak on this, but we believe it's a fairly straightforward issue, and unless the Court has questions, I would yield to the U.S. Trustee. All right. Well, let me, before I press any additional questions, let me hear from Mr. Sponder or Ms. Bielski. Thank you, Your Honor, and good morning. Good morning. As Your Honor is aware, the United States Trustee did file an objection to the motion to seal that's at docket 2107. The wind-down debtors seek to redact and file purported confidential and commercially sensitive portions of the settlement agreement and the sealed portions of the 1919 motion. The wind-down debtors have the burden to make a specific showing that the settlement agreement and the sealed portions of the 1919 motion fall within the parameters of an exception to Section 107A. In an effort to meet that burden, the wind-down debtors set forth in the motion to seal that the wind-down debtors in 3AC are parties to various proceedings and litigations, and the specific terms of the settlement agreement may have negative impacts on existing or future litigations. No other information is provided to support the wind-down debtors' burden to establish an exception to disclosure except what was set forth at oral argument now, which was not included in the motion. Sealing, Your Honor, as you know, is an extraordinary measure, and the interest in secrecy must outweigh the presumption in favor of access. The fact that the disclosure of the terms of the settlement agreement may have a negative impact should not be sufficient to carry the wind-down debtors' burden to seal the settlement agreement and the sealed portions of the 1919 motion. Without the settlement terms disclosed, parties in interest are unable to assess whether the settlement should be approved by the court and whether the settlement meets the standards under Rule 9019. According to the settlement motion, the agreement has what appears to be three components. The first one is a grant to 3AC of a general unsecured claim against BlockFi, but the amount and additional details about the claim were redacted. The second component was completely redacted in the motion, and the third component appears to be releases. All of that information should be included for creditors to review. Your Honor, although the motion to seal provides that the wind-down debtors would be filing the settlement agreement with redactions, the entire settlement agreement was filed under seal. To the extent the court approves the motion to seal, the wind-down debtors should be required to file the settlement agreement with redactions, and the 1919 motion should be revised to at least set forth the terms of the settlement. Going into the argument from today, Your Honor, as to no party came forward to receive a copy of the agreement, well, that's the whole point. Parties shouldn't have to come forward to receive copies of the agreement. The agreement should be filed on the docket for parties to review, so I don't see that being an issue. And as to Chapter 15 and comedy, again, that wasn't set forth anywhere in any of the motions. I don't believe that that should be taken into account here, Your Honor. What we have here is we have, in simple terms, we have a settlement agreement, and the terms should be disclosed. Parties of interest should be able to review that and understand that. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, Mr. Sponder. Mr. Axelrod, do you have any response? And let me ask this question. Just out of curiosity, I understand the plan administrator has broad rights 
uh, under the confirmed plan uh, to prosecute and compromise any and all claims. Uh, do you know offhand, or does anybody on the call know offhand, does the plan administrator need court approval in order to compromise claims? My the plan administrator no, does not need court approval to compromise claims. Uh, with a claim of this size, and we felt it prudent to inform the court and, and parties that we had reached a, a resolution, um, in, in part because reaching this resolution allowed us to make distributions to creditors, and we felt it was good news. But uh, the straightforward answer, Your Honor, is, is no. We, we had no obligation to provide notice of the agreement at all to any creditors. And therefore, there was no requirement to place a settlement on the docket, the terms, uh, the specific terms. Correct, Your Honor. Any other issues you wish to raise, uh, Mr. Axelrod? Your Honor, I would, I would rest on my arguments and just reiterate that uh, FTX is of critical importance here, and we, we would not do anything that jeopardizes uh, the mediation and the negotiations we're having with FTX or that discloses mediation privileged information, uh, including, frankly, point, pointing out in our motions that, that that's what we're redacting here. It, it's very sensitive. We think things are going productively now, but uh, we're, we're being appropriately cautious in light of the interests of our constituents. All right. Thank you. Mr. Sponder, anything else on your end? No, Your Honor. Thank you. All right. Your Honor, uh, may I briefly be heard? Yes, Mr. Goldberg. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, for the record, Adam Goldberg of Latham & Watkins on behalf of the joint liquidators of Three Arrows Capital. Um, Mr. Axelrod gave a very fulsome argument, and I don't intend to uh, repeat any of his, his points. They uh, were very well made, and I certainly join in the arguments regarding comedy and uh, the nature of the BVI proceedings. Um, I, I would simply rise to uh, electronically to add, Your Honor, that um, – Disclosure of the terms of the settlement are, are not only an issue of comedy and confidentiality as it relates to the BVI proceedings, but they are of commercial sensitivity and importance to the Three Arrows estate as, for sim similar reasons that Mr. Axelrod explained as the BlockFi estate. Um, Your Honor, you may recall that we put before the court our motion for judicial coordination back over the summer and the fall, um, which was at docket number 1623, and among other things disclosed in that motion, that we had asserted claims against FTX on behalf of the Three Arrows estate in, uh, in an asserted amount of approximately $120 million. Those claims remain subject to ongoing investigation and potential uh, for litigation or negotiations, and the disclosure of the terms of this settlement, just as with the disclosure of the terms of the settlement that we reached in the Genesis case, could adversely impact uh, those, that, those proceedings with FTX and potentially with other parties that are not public um, that are subject to suits or potential suits by the three arrows of state. Um, and, and that was uh, really what I wanted to add to Mr. Axelrod's remarks. Thank you, Your Honor. All right. Thank you. I am going to sustain the motion, uh, grant the motion, and overrule the trustees' objections. I understand the concerns raised regarding transparency, obviously. Uh, transparency with, this, with respect to the judicial process is of paramount importance both to the U.S. trustee and to this court. But this court has to balance uh, the needs uh, and, uh, of the estate as a whole, the creditor body in particular. And it makes uh, little sense, in fact it's counterintuitive, uh, to require 
the disclosure of settlement details, which would have the effect to uh, prejudice the interest of this debtor and other parties going forward with respect to uh, settlement strategies, uh, the strengths and weaknesses of claims and defenses, uh, as well as uh, in the various parties' views on uh, factual issues uh, that are tied to pending claims such as solvency uh, issues and safe harbor issues and potential recoveries. To prejudice the interest of all these parties by the, the disclosure in a situation where, in effect, the plan administrator need not have come before the court in the first place. Uh, and more so, even if that weren't an issue, uh, this information uh, is critical and to uh, compel full disclosure at a point where no party uh, is seeking such information or is being prevented from acquiring such information uh, also serves no purpose. The, the manner in which the uh, motion was made made it clear that parties can get access to the information uh, if they were to take certain steps, uh, such as executing an NDA, getting consent of the parties, or if, or if necessary, coming before this court. So there are avenues open to parties in interest who, who are deserving of access to the information uh, without having to imperil the, the settlements themselves and the and the benefits uh, necessary, uh, the, the benefits to the recoveries uh, which are necessary for uh, the distributions that are anticipated to be made. Uh, the court also respects the issues raised with respect to comedy uh, and this court's responsibility to respect the, 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 the legal process that is ongoing uh, in the foreign main proceedings in the BVI, uh, and again, uh, balancing the policy objectives, that, uh, it would seem that the uh, goal of uh, respect and comity for foreign uh, proceedings should outweigh the, uh, the uh, disclosure needs at this point, especially when uh, there are other avenues available. So, for the reasons laid out in the arguments and for this court's ruling, the court will uh, grant the motion. Now, let me ask this. The U.S. trustee did uh, request that in the event the court does grant the motion uh, to require what the parties in, had indicated they would do and file redacted versions of, of the document. Is that problematic, Mr. Axelrod? Uh, we can speak to the United States trustee about an appropriate redaction, but in principle, I, I don't believe we would object. All right, then uh, I will direct uh, Mr. Sponder and uh, the and counsel to continue the discussion, and I will require further redaction. Uh, if the, if, if the uh, parties reach an impasse, you can contact the court and we can have a conference call. Thank you, Your Honor. All right. Thank you, Mr. Sponder. Thank you, uh, counsel. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, Your Honor, we, we still have the settlement motion right. itself, not mine. Let, let's get to the heart of it. <laughs> um, that is docket number 2062. 
It's a motion for cause under Rule 9019 and Section 363B of the code. There were no objections. Uh, we'd ask that the motion be granted for causes stated therein. Um, we believe it's a very good settlement, uh, and, and I thank the representatives of Fierro's Capital, Mr. Goldberg, and his colleagues uh, for that. Um, we would also ask that uh, the court's order, if it's inclined to grant the motion, that it do so today, if not uh, effectively at this hearing, because frankly, someone is waiting to press the button and send many, many millions of dollars from the lending estate out to creditors as soon as this order is entered. All right. With that, does anyone wish to be heard as to the underlying merits of the settlement? The court should also probably express its appreciation to the mediator. I believe it was retired Judge uh, Drain who did this uh, uh, rather comprehensively and quickly from what, uh, from what I've been told, uh, uh, placing a burden on anyone else who seeks to mediate cases to do it as efficiently. Uh, but I'm glad to see that the result uh, of his efforts produced a, a, a significant settlement that will benefit this estate. I will, uh, with the court having the benefit of reviewing the uh, redacted uh, information, the court does believe that this is uh, certainly a significant settlement and will benefit uh, this bankruptcy estate uh, and will approve the settlement. Uh, I will. Try to enter the order today, but I will so order the settlement approved from the bench uh, so that you may proceed uh, and push whatever buttons you wish uh, and, and, and start further distributions. Uh, Many thanks, Your Honor. Thank you. Uh, we also, uh, do we have any other matters on for the calendar that, have, that were not held over? Uh, Your Honor, there's the 14th omnibus objection to claims, which I believe Your Honor indicated that you would hear on the papers. But if, to the extent Your Honor has any questions, my co-counsel, Lauren Sisson, will be handling this matter. All right. No, thank you. Uh, I have read the uh, reply submitted on behalf of the plan administrator, as well as the uh, close, close to 200 different objections that were uh, that were raised, uh, and I agree that the by by far uh, those that for which there were coherent objections went to the uh, use of the valuation as the petition date for digital currency. Uh, those matters have been addressed previously, as well as in other bankruptcies, and they need not be addressed again. Uh, I understand that there were at least two. Uh, of the objections which were be, are being adjourned for further response. Is that correct, Ms. Sisson? Yes, Your Honor. Uh, at this point, it's actually uh, three that we believe we're going to be adjourning uh, to a later date in February just to have additional time to review. All right. As to the other objections, uh, again, the court has reviewed uh, all of the submissions uh, in advance of this hearing and uh, the court is going to grant the objections motion uh, in its entirety, uh, except to the extent uh, those three matters are being carried. Uh, Thank you, Your Honor. Will you submit we'll... a new form of order? 
Yes, we'll be submitting a revised proposed order. All right. Then we'll mark that OTBS. Thank right. you. Anyone else wish to be heard on any pending matter? Then I thank you. I think we're done for the morning. I appreciate the council's arguments and all your efforts. Take care. Thank you, Your Honor. We thank are you, adjourned. Your Honor. Thank you.